From the Dub Lab Studios in Virgil Village, California, this is North Mollywood. On the show today, your favorite rapper's manager, maybe, and Molly's brother, Ben Lambert. Hey, hey. As usual from Yo! Is This Racist, Andrew T. I'm always here. I've never left. And fresh, if that's the word, from camping under the gull wing of Ja Rule's overturned Maybach in the Bahamas. What's my motherfucking name? Holly Lambert. To spell it out, it's the only way. I put a little Ja Rule on it. I saw Ja Rule at the JLo Vegas show. Happier times. He came out twice. He was just waiting there the whole time on stage. We were going to lead by talking about the Fire Festival. So I did, I did, I was not aware of this. I went back and read some of the publicity, the advanced publicity for this event. Um, I believe I saw it because Kanye posted about it on his Instagram saying good music would be there. That was where I learned about this. I didn't know what it was originally. From, from good music to no music. Yeah. So. Wait, okay. I didn't know anything about this until the hashtag kicked off. Um, where did where are you supposed to have found out? Am I supposed to be following more models on Instagram? Is that my problem? Uh, well, it, apparently, except they might trap you into a dystopian hellscape disguised as a island luxury music festival. That is what could happen to you. Yeah, that's what they do regardless, actually. So <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Andrew, you're like, if I had a nickel. That's the plot of the Odyssey. <laughs> For everything. <laughs> They take so. you to an island. Um, so the Fire Festival is Ja Rule curated. I want to say curated because that's what you say when it's a boutique music festival. Yeah, it's a boutique music festival that exists to promote his, uh, like one of his cyber brands, I guess. He has a, a business partner uh, who kind of looks like Schmidt from New Girl. And together they're doing something uh, techy, but the festival kind of promotes that brand. It's like their fire media. And, and so it's and like, so this is the the kickoff for the Fire Media brand is a big festival at a secret private island. Didn't isn't there a rumor that or didn't they pr promote it as Escobar owns the <laughs> yes. island or something? It was a, it's an island in the Exumas uh, in the Bahamas, I guess, and it is the the uh, supposedly formerly owned by Pablo Escobar. It's always a good start. Yeah, so you're like, <laughs> how could this go wrong? There's no there's nothing in that story that would suggest that things could go badly for me. So they promoted this festival as it was going to be like the most luxurious music festival of all time. A lot of promo images of just like nice hotel room looking yeah, rooms. You're like cabana that you could have with your two like pod beds yeah. and stuff. And you could go up to if you had six figures to spend on this, you could get a yacht and be floating anchored off the coast of Firefest. For like two hundred grand, right? Yeah, like up, yeah, up there. Like I, I don't know what a started, decent price for yachts. It said yachts. it began at four thousand. Was I think it was like ticket. one or four up to like two hundred grand? Because yeah. it includes plane fare and stuff. Right. But I assume <laughs> here's the catch. <laughs> and we'll say it's like a good, it's like a decent festival lineup. You look at this, you're like, I think you know, like Migos. The, Migos yeah. the art there. direction. It looks Grace like Strummer. a festival. It like, looks real. I mean, it's weird. We will we will get into this because I like web design wise. It like might be a Squarespace. That website, <laughs> and they do blog on Medium. I'm not going to say anything about Medium, except you think like the luxury festival might not be using the free platform necessarily. <laughs> so, in hindsight, 
maybe we had some clues going into it. But like, it looks like a thing that you would go if you were like had six figures to spend on a yacht and you wanted to go see Ray Stremmert in the Bahamas. Like, what's not to get excited about? But but uh, everything went wrong that could possibly go wrong. Ben, you were you had a name. I think in the history books, when Wolf Blitzer talks about this tonight, I hope when they do the breaking on CNN, I hope it they have the big hashtag Instamont <laughs> because this is the Altamont of the Instagram influencer generation. This is the end of the 60s. Because every it, it feels like it is because everybody who's going has to be probably going for free, right? Well, they invited 400 influencers specifically. That just means like hot people, right? Who Instagram a lot. Yeah. Who will gram it. And people so that the idea, right? Promote is, fit tea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kendall Jenner, I believe, is, is promoted. Everybody who promotes stuff on their Instagram is like somehow attached to this, at least like, the, you know, like, because what do they know? You know, you, you promote one festival. And they paid people ahead of time. Uh, ben and I, before we got into the studio, were talking this out. It's like, this is like a classic Ponzi scheme, right? Like, they took, they paid people, they paid the influencers by yeah. taking the money from the, the next level up of the people who paid like 10 grand for their tickets and then didn't have an, a next level. Like they, what they really need is like a shittier, smaller music festival in Miami <laughs> to get like middle managers to go to, and then feed that down to like a regional truck stop thing. And everything needs to go back up. Like their 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 problem is the Ponzi scheme just didn't go deep enough. I mean, their problem is a lot of things because what happens, what gets Instagrammed from this festival, rather than beautiful people having a beautiful time watching uh, the Migos, it is i mean i think the the image that i think will stick with all of us is like uh, uh, they were supposedly like here's your like a, a chef will squeeze vegan uh, rainwater into your mouth with a, a, a you know a, a, a silk <laughs> towel and instead like there's a picture of a jail sandwich <laughs> literally literally <laughs> two well, slices of cold bread I don't even and think a slice two of government slices. cheese there's just one right, there's just one slice well, so i guess it just it doesn't even look like a sandwich it looks like a piece of bread with the world's saddest piece of cheese on it's, it. Whoever was making, they didn't get someone who knows how to close a sandwich <laughs> to make the sandwich. That was the level of things being not done properly. So people are now trapped on the island. <laughs> oh, Andrew just picked up the reference image. There's two sad pieces of cheese yeah. and two sad pieces of bread. Look at that salad, super too. Sad That's salad. a dark salad. On kind of a bed of lettuce. A bed of sadness. A bed of, yes, yeah, <laughs> so sort of mushy lettuce. Um and it does that. That's not where it ends. I mean, like, there's pictures of you know, and eventually, like, the hashtag got crazy. Like, and there was you know, like, people were like, I just got knifed in the gut for the last <laughs> bag of Fritos. Like, they, it goes into it becomes fictional. And people who aren't there, it becomes like a GIF party or whatever. But, uh, you know, there are. I think like they they got there, and the tents are like they're like FEMA tents. They're like refugee tents. They are not even really set up fully. <laughs> this is the Woodstock '99. Of now. Of brand activations. Of brand activations. <laughs> I wonder what, like, which brands went out there to do their activations well, outside is, of fire. Yeah, this is what I want to know. Like, which brands are there and which influencers are actually there? Like, are Ray Stremmerd okay? For, like, did we? Did anybody get anywhere near the festival before? Like, Blink-182 canceled they dropped from, out. Yeah. They were like, I don't think we can. They're a very diplomatic statement. Like, I don't think we can give our fans the kind of performance that they deserve. Okay, we're not fucking going there. We're like, the stage might fall on us like at any moment. Um, and people are still trapped there. 
As far as I know, yeah. I read that people were like taking refuge in the airport because it was the only place that you could like hang out with a roof. Yeah, I mean, well, or they're trapped in Miami too, presumably. Like trapped in Miami, they're trapped. Such yeah, a bummer. They're trapped this in some a, service. The beginning of a great planes, trains, and automobiles <laughs> reboot. What if like it just became? I mean, it's you know, it's a, it's a, it's an island with like you know like people who live there, so this isn't going to happen. But like I I do like the idea of like just like all the influencers move to a deserted island and that becomes a society. Right, it becomes lord of the influencers. We never. They just we don't bring them back, and they have to start <laughs> over. Start a society from the beginning i would watch that show like kid nation but with influencers um sold <laughs> I, see, I had you <laughs> i had you at like kid nation i know one thing i want to say is that so this episode is going to be out a couple days we're recording this spoiler a few days before this comes out so i just want to i just want to go around the room and and say just in case yeah. this is like a elaborate prank which it isn't definitely not. Uh, what do we think the elaborate prank could be? This is the cover your ass segment of the podcast. If it turns out on Tuesday, everyone's like, oh, we got you. I just want to say we called it. I'd, well, I think I would like, in case things turn out to be different, I think I would like to just say uh, our hearts are with the families of everyone killed oh, God. <laughs> at, when oh. the, <laughs> at Firefest. When it turns out to be Monster Island. <laughs> Every, everyone eaten by the the smoke monster. It's actually it was all being promoted by Mothra <laughs> to lure people. I kind of have a theory that this was set up by Coachella the week after Coachella to show because you see Coachella for two weeks. It's all you see on Instagram. You get FOMO, like you're seeing this yeah. amazing festival, amazing headliners, and then this happens the week after, and it's like this is what a festival is can be. And this is what a festival like can't be. And this is just to show you both sides, you know. So you think it's like it's like Putin, like when Putin will fund like sort of like anti-Putin groups. Yeah, to make himself to, look better. Like this then, is like, like a false flag for Coachella. Exactly. Like, yeah, That's Coachella what I'm is the only real shit That's around. What I'm saying. Oh, Golden Voice false flag. Absolutely. Exactly. Like, yeah. No. You guys, we're all going to Stagecoach. <laughs> That's also not, run by the same. Now. Maybe they're behind this too. They are. That is like its own. Uh, its own nation for the week because it is a drunk nation. Westworld. People at Stagecoach get so much more fucked up than people at Coachella. It's amazing. Well, sure. Every single song is about whiskey. That's right. <laughs> Literally no song is performed that does that not mention correct. whiskey. Shout out to Stagecoach. I like how Fire Festival is like a collection of all the people who might he- hunt human beings for sport, <laughs> but all together and no other human beings. <laughs> like... I just think it would be really funny to drop one machine gun into that crowd. <laughs> Jesus, dude. Just one. Just see what happens. All right. That's been uh, Andrew T, Skull Island. Andrew T, a.k.a. Dr. Moreau. Dr. Moreau. Uh, moving on. I don't uh, have a good segue. Anyway, congratulations to Nathan Fielder yes. on, on Firefest, your greatest ever prank on the world. Amen. I pray it is because I need him to finish that season. I know. That's my Chinese democracy. If he's like 2016 was my greatest prank, we'll all be so happy. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, speaking of music festivals, we were talking about Wayne Stock. The fictional and other fictional music festivals. Uh, Wayne Stock is the music festival put on by Wayne and Garth in Wayne's World 2. 
that I don't remember anything else about except that Aerosmith play it and maybe that it also is a disaster. I think it's almost a disaster. But somebody saves the day. Yeah. And he's he's having look, I don't want to get into like, let's let's be positive. Let's let's start on a positive note. So we're going to not talk about Wayne's World 2. Let's talk about Wayne's World 1. Yes. I don't know how we got to this on Twitter the other day, but Alex started talking about Wayne's World and the fact that everything in Wayne's World is Canadian. You okay? Wait. You started talking about uh, Stacy Wayne's girlfriend. Oh yeah, I was talking about riding Stacey. her bike into a car and how you were a Stacy. Hey guys, real quick, like. just for all of us millennials in the audience, what's Wayne's World? <laughs> oh, it hurts to be so old. Get um, out of here. Wayne's World is a movie about a cable access show in Aurora, Illinois. That's two guys in their mom's basement doing a cable access show, and then it was a very popular Saturday Night Live sketch, and then it was a movie. And uh, now it's the present. It's the precursor to like, it's before Beavis and Butthead, but after like Strange Brew. It's like the 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 gate between those two things. There was a like, like guys on couches genre. Yeah. That I was into. It's dudes, they're metalhead dudes in so the it's suburbs. Like white Good Burger. Mike Myers. It's the white, white yes, it's, it's absolutely. Stars white. Austin Powers. Starring Austin Powers. Starring the love guru, perhaps, love you know? Guru. It's weird. Is there a thing? Would we have to contextualize Mike Myers fully for like someone who's 22 Shrek. We're at like, this point? he's oh, Shrek. It's the guy who's the voice of Shrek before Shrek. We just say it's Shrek from Shrek. <laughs> it's a movie starring Shrek. That would be incredible. If they went back and sh- made him into Shrek in all of his movies. Ugh. Just so people would George Lucas is going to make him CGI Shrek. him in there. So you were pointing something out which I had never thought about and which sort of blew my mind, even though in retrospect, it's the most obvious thing ever, which is that. Wayne's World takes place in the Midwest in the fictional town of Aurora, Illinois, or is Aurora real? real? It's real. Yeah, it's a real place. Andrew T. Michigander, can you confirm that Aurora, Illinois is a real place? Uh, I can look it up, but I probably, I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, So uh, Wayne's World, even though it takes place in the Midwest, everything about it is super Canadian, you were saying. And I realized you were correct. I mean, it was initially someone pointed out in response to this conversation that it started out as a sketch that Mike Myers would do when he was doing comedy in Canada. And so it was not all of the references were just references. And it was. But yeah, all of his like it is very much. I mean, look, metalheads are metalheads everywhere. You know, it's kind of the same thing. Like the, the you know, the Hesher lifestyle is universal. But yeah, like all of the references are Canadian. So like the the, the donut shop owned by the former hockey star. It's Stan Makita in the movie, who is an actual hockey player who played for the Chicago Blackhawks. But in the in real life, it's Tim Hortons. It's the donut shop owned by the. Yeah, yeah. I had never thought about that before. And there was I didn't a great movie like got, Tim Horton was a person. Yeah, that was, like, the real question. I thought Tim Horton was a donut hole with a face. <laughs> he is a, now. He's become timbit. that. It's like later on in the Dune books when you just become a sandworm. <laughs> He's a crueler. He's turned uh, into that. That's my dream. Over time to become a sandworm. Um, so yeah, we were just talking about how all these things in Wayne's world are so Canadian, but how it's also actually all shot in the Valley. Um, Wayne and Garth's houses are both in Van Nuys. And I was just thinking about it and being like, none of this seemed weird to me at the time because everybody played street hockey at that time. It was like the time that hockey was the most popular it ever would be in America. Well, in Southern California, probably. Because we had we had the great one, Molly. We had the great one. Everybody was into hockey and the Kings, and we played street hockey all the time. We did. I think it was a combination of Wayne Gretzky being on the Kings and then Mighty Ducks coming out. 
It was a big time for hockey. I feel like they also just had a big promotion budget. They were like and they were also were on TV. It was yeah. before hockey got kind of pushed off TV. Is hockey not on TV anymore? It's back a little bit, <laughs> but it was like on like NBC, like on like regular ten channels. Also, you will vouch for this. We played a ton of street hockey, and we did the scene where they play street hockey was probably we played street hockey because of that scene where they play street hockey, where they're like car. Absolutely, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the car thing. We used to always do that. We used that, to do that you know? all the time. This is getting a little inside a little between inside me and Molly. No, know? this is where we want this to go, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. This is where this needs to go. But ultimately, you, we're yeah. going to lead to a, an ancient family dispute. Exactly. But you, you probably didn't realize it took place or it was filmed in the valley because you lived in the valley. Yeah, it just I thought the valley like was the Midwest. real life. You know what I mean? We never left the valley. Yeah. Well, but also for if you're a particularly unsavvy brand of child like I was, like you, everything was shot in the valley. So you didn't, I didn't notice that it was the valley because it was like, yeah, all TV looks the same. Everyone's houses look like this, blah, blah, blah. We talked about this a little bit with It Follows too, but yeah, it's like, I have no idea what the actual Midwest looks like because I realized that everything I thought was the Midwest was actually Southern California subbing for the Midwest until It Follows, which is actually Detroit. Yeah. Well, that's also why I love uh, walking around in like uh, Burbank and Pasadena because I'm like, it's basically, it's basically the Midwest. It's fine. <laughs> it's like being on TV. We just like set dress some fall leaves on the ground, make it look like the street from Halloween, which is in South Pasadena. And I go there all the time. Uh, this was kind of the Wayne's World segment. I think that might have been it. Well, you went from Mike Myers to Michael Myers. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. Like we did it on head. purpose. <laughs> Wait, is there other Canadian shit in there besides his Mike Myers never gets his accent under control? Yeah, he's got that very much like it's a like it, it, it's again, it's one of those accents that could go anywhere, but it's very clearly like there's something Canadian. Like, oh no, well, I mean, I think the thing that like this is where it started. This is how it started because of Stacy with the gun rack and Mike Myers saying, I don't even own a gun. Right. And I was like, that ah, <laughs> so Canadian. Well, the one thing I will say for all you fucking coastal elites in this studio, uh, you would be surprised actually at the amount of Canadian crossover when you grow up in the Midwest, especially because I, you know, I grew up near in Ann Arbor. So like one of the few points, contiguous U.S. points that is south uh, or that is north of a point in Canada. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot more Canadian shit around the Midwest than you think. It's like Twin Peaks. Yeah, that that's what I was going to say is like or, or Fargo. It's like there's a little bit to which I can't tell the difference between Canadian stuff and Midwestern stuff because I'm just like, oh, like white people from other European countries settled there and made breweries or something. In the snow. Yeah, in the snow. And like a lot of flannel plaid. Yeah, it's just like chili former Northern Europeans like fucking eating like a lot more like sausage than you think. It's fine. It's dope. <laughs> I'll, I'll, that's all I'm saying is like I, that ag gun didn't register with me because I'm like, you know, that's kind of the Midwest accent a little bit too. It's okay. It's fine. You're right. That could also be like a Chicago. Yeah. Eh. Didn't register for me either. But now that I go back and see it, I have like a Kaiser Soze moment. It's all been Canada this whole time. It's been Canada all along. Aurora is, it's somehow an alternate universe Canada. Like if there was a Wayne's World 3, they would find out that the whole thing was a simulation. All right, so you're saying that takes place in the man in a high castle version of the War of 1812 (laughs) where the British, like the line for the British goes nearly to the Mason-Dixon line. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Because that's fine. Very much. That is. All right. 
deep alternate history. How much do you wish that were true right now? Dog, I'd be going home to Her Majesty's <laughs> Michigan Mitt <laughs> right now. You'd be speaking differently accented English right now. We'd all be speaking the Queens. <laughs> Don't forget that the Valley tried to secede from Los Angeles oh, yeah. and wanted to be called Camelot. That was the best moment. Yeah. When was this? This uh, was like 2002 or 2003. 2003. Yeah. The Valley wanted to secede because uh, we supply all the water to the main. It part wasn't of Los the water, Angeles. man. It was the porn. It wasn't the water. It was like, it was also <laughs> like for dignity. It was like, nobody thinks we're part of LA and we're going to just like be our own thing. It wasn't the, I thought it was the porn. No, it wasn't the porn. I don't we, think. All the money's in the Valley. That's also true, though. I like the idea of like an entire region trying to secede <laughs> over like the condom law. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we 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 should do that. Otherwise, it's going to Vegas and Florida. We got to keep it keep it in the basket. But it didn't work because people don't actually want to secede. They want to be part of L.A. so they can claim it as we do. Um, but the name, the proposed name, was Camelot. I remember there was people with picket signs it was like a march and it was literally like seven people yeah. in a ralph's parking lot but they were wearing <laughs> medieval garb and they were like free camelot free camelot <laughs> i remember this well like on ventura boulevard <laughs> it was the dumbest cutest there's there's got to be that's one of the places where when the uh, modern day knights of the round table get together <laughs> that's where they one of them comes from like the camelot secession movement i would imagine it all, yeah. If there's like a, uh, uh, what's that? Uh, if there's like a medieval times in the valley, that's their base, and then they kind of like <laughs> rampage around. Um, Shakey's would be our base, but also Sherman Oaks Castle, which is a fake castle, would be probably the uh, Kingdom of Camelot would be centered there. Speaking of uh, the porn industry, we were going to talk about glass bricks. Finally, when oh, we man. get back from this break. Welcome back. Have we never talked about glass bricks on this show? I you, don't think we have. How is that possible? That's you, all Molly talks about. During the right? run of this show, you wrote about them for the New York Times for the recommendations section of the New York Times magazine. I feel like we maybe mentioned it at that point, but I would imagine that if somebody's listening to this show as a fan of you, they would expect more there glass to bricks be content. Really a lot more glass <laughs> bricks. Like I think I hold back from talking about it because otherwise I'll never talk about anything else. And I want to to give the people a chance to have other. You don't want to be like one of those act character actors that you're only known for one. You just don't want to be glass bricks, like human glass bricks. I actually don't know the genesis of glass bricks. Like I'm rolling with it because I can, you know, basically get what's going on. But I don't actually know what how it started. Well, today's your day. Um, You've come to the right podcast. <laughs> Ben, why don't you explain? <clears throat> yeah, Basically, ben, how important ben, like, were you, Ben, to the glass bricks phenomenon being part of Molly's life and therefore my life and now Andrew's? I don't know like where it, who started it necessarily. We were talking about like rich kids' houses. Yeah, so growing up here, there's just a lot of rich kids, you know. And, in Camelot. In Camelot. Specifically and sort of on the border of The Camelot. border, so between the about valley. Mulholland Drive Yeah, lot. Mulholland Drive between the valley and L.A. proper. There's just these kind of like houses that probably looked really modern at one point, like in the early 80s, right? Yeah, they were like state of the art in the 80s. And I think glass bricks, you know, in the 20s, I think is when they first came out. I'm not a historian on this. This is more of like a, a loose knowledge. But in the 80s, 
rich people started putting them in their houses. They were probably on a lot of cocaine. And they're like, that brick looks like really tight in my house. Like, can you put some more of those? And then next thing you knew, they have like 30% of their house is glass bricks. That's and, my theory. Yeah. And they're just kind of everywhere in everything. Showers, front of house, toilets. A lot of mansions still have them because a lot of yeah. mansions from the 80s in like Malibu, anywhere that's like a fancy sort of sleazy mansion center such as the Valley or Malibu has a lot of glass bricks. It's almost like finding a fossil yeah. of a past time. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how we got into it was we were like, you these remind travel. us of yeah. the 80s and we were talking a lot about the late 80s and like the weird transition from the late 80s into the early 90s. Yeah, it's like, I think about it probably every day, the late 80s to the early 90s, <laughs> like from 87, 88 you, to like 91. Really, I don't remember it really that much. It's the the long 80s. Like it's the period of the 80s that stretches into the, before the 90s become. Yeah, like before, pretty like much the before the chronic yeah. and Nirvana. Yeah. yeah. Anything before the cro- BC, before chronic <laughs> is is the 80s, you know? Yeah, the, the, big, the shoulders got bigger and things got more and more Baroque until suddenly it was all like minimalism. Exactly. But we like talking about the really Baroque sort of bloated late 80s and specifically, and maybe it also came about because you were listening to the Don Henley solo album all the time. Yeah, I got like really deep into Don Henley. You got really into Sunset Grill. Sunset Grill. Like this was a few years ago. I just, I got, like, I think it was spring too. I was like, I hit up Molly just with a a random like 8 a.m. text. I just wrote Henley weather. (laughs) And I think I sent her like a YouTube of Sunset Grill. And I literally listened to that song for like a month straight. And there was a message board thread that kind of sparked it that was a thread about 60s artists in the 80s. In the 80s, yeah. Using synths, people who moved from like, you know, 60s rock music into like, well, now it's the 80s. I'm going to like put on a suit, a really expensive suit. And like buy these really, it would just like buy a bunch of really expensive stuff. I mean, I hate to keep going back to this, but it's people that went from marijuana to cocaine. Yes, basically. That's basically and it. when their cocaine habit was kind of out of control in the eighties, because it was like regular to do. Yeah. This is when, if you look back, you're like, this a lot is of glass bricks. A lot of glass <laughs> bricks, like a lot of glass bricks going on. You know. Um, and then we made a mix together of sixties and seventies rock artists. Their music from the 80s. Yeah, of like boomer artists in the 80s and like who sounds, you know. <laughs> the most like messed up. Yeah, who sounds the most coked out was kind of. <laughs> so the, it's like, I mean, I'm thinking of like Touch of Grey. Yeah, basically that's where it came from. And uh, I think there's like three Neil Young songs on every volume. Oh, man. Yeah. He's, you know, he, he made He's just timeless every decade. He did all the coke and all the synths and was like the better than anyone. He's just, it's because he's still young. It's like even his Coke synths period is going to be like above like some people's like best day. Yeah. So we found out is we really like people's Coke synths periods. And it's like, actually really good. There's a lot of gems. We yeah. went into the 90s on Glass Bricks too. Yeah. The OJ years. Because again, like anything before, we decided like anything before the mid 90s counted for sort of Glass Bricks era. And then we made a, a sequel. These, these are mixes we made as our DJ, our DJ duo. Ginger sibling duo. I think it's Lambert sibling duo. LSD. Sometimes it's Lambert sibling it changes. duo. <laughs> changes, but you know, we can never um, remember. But yeah, also just like uh, as as siblings, we spend a lot of time like sending each other songs for fun or 
that we think will make the other person laugh. We pretty much have a, it's just an inside joke and it got to the New York Times. Right. It was an inside joke. And then it kept getting like, people were like, why are you always posting glass bricks? Because I started just like documenting them around town. And then I was like, there's almost too many. Like at first I would just notice them. And then I was like, became compulsive and I couldn't stop noticing them. They're in every movie. It turns out they're in every TV show from the eighties and nineties. Uh, and then I tried to buy a wall of them from the L.A. Convention Center, the L.A. Sports Arena. But Not wait, the- I, this is a good story because, like, uh, I, you need to say what happened. I tried to buy a wall of them for $10. Somebody sent me a link to the L.A. Sports Arena, which is being torn down, which is a venue I really like because it's so 60s and old and they don't build venues it's like It's fitting that, that we saw the boss there right before yeah. you did this. We saw Springsteen there a bunch of times. And I think we saw the Grateful we Dead We saw there the Grateful once. Dead there in 93. Yeah. Um, it's a good venue. They don't they don't make them like that. It's too small. Um, it's got like a portrait of Nixon on the wall. It's real weird. But yeah, they were they were demolishing it, and there was an auction where you could buy things from the demolishment. Is that a word? Demo- demolition. Demolition. Demolishment's not a word. Demolishment is a great word though. Mm. <laughs> Title of the show. <laughs> Andrew's like, mm, I don't know. Chris Angel, do I believe? Uh if I could cut in real quick, I have a now I have a theory while you were talking about why you see them in TV and movies so much. I feel like people who bought or people who bought houses that have glass bricks in them highly correlate with people who need the location fees once the mid 90s and 2000s. Mm, well, that's around. the porn angle, right? That every yeah. porn Every porn house has glass bricks. There's always that stair, that curved staircase with the that's glass bricks. That's just one house. I feel like that's like David Silver's house, but like <laughs> I, but I always that's what I was associated with, and like my like so once this started, basically like I started when I would see them, eventually like I would start adding you, like sending you, like tweeting you gl- pictures of glass bricks and things, and then eventually like I just stopped adding you to it because it was kind of like oh, there's you're too many. There's too many, and it's like it's getting annoying. No, it's not getting annoying. I became a brickhead. I became a brickhead completely. But so what happens is my wife makes fun of me because I was in a a time, a different time, and I'm able to acknowledge that like there's different versions of me that I discard over time, and like ideologies that I let go of because they're no longer productive. I used to make fun of like I used to be like those are cheesy, those are ugly. Well, they are. That's what's cool about them. And well, yes, and like Jen always thought they were cool, and I was like, you're crazy. That looks like a porn house. And then gradually, like you sort of like, you know, you both like both by like showing me like the light literally translucently shining through. But also like that, I I got I got super into it. And like you realize that it is everywhere. And it's this weird kind of like, uh, you know, it's like the uh, the uh, the sign from uh, crying of lot 49, like except it's everywhere all the time. Um, um, what you saying is that uh, Jen called you a glass brick poser? She called me a glass brick poser, which is fair. <laughs> I was trying to be cool in front of I adopted Molly's thing, and like I feel weird about it. Still, I feel like I'm sort of stealing your thing. You're but not because like... it's also it belongs to the world. Yeah. Wait, I'll finish telling my story. Go for it. Uh, so I bid on a, blo- a wall of bricks from the sports arena, and then they were ten dollars, and I thought it was like six or ten bricks or something, and then it turned out to be a six foot wall of bricks <laughs> uh, from the the locker room, the men's locker room. And they're all attached. 
Yeah. So I called and I said, hey, how do I come pick up my bricks? I was like thinking it through of like, I'm going to have to get a U-Haul and I'm going to like, and then like, what am I going to do with them? And I was like, well, I'm going to take this six foot wall of bricks. I'm going to like get my friends who can lift things to come with me. And then I had this idea that I was going to go just like leave it on the beach somewhere, which is also crazy because there's no place you could just like carry them to the beach directly without going downstairs. Anyway, I really thought it through. Uh, and then when I called, they were like, cool, are you bringing your contractor to come cut it out of the wall? <laughs> and I was like, no. But I think that's a good metaphor for just the glass bricks ideology of just like kind of like false dreams. And I had stuff. to let it's it go. Like, yeah. The dream you know. was the dream got crazier and more expensive by the minute. And then I had to just be like. The, the fantasy was just... It's just like this big idea, kind of like those songs from the 80s. Like yeah. These guys being like, this is my big, this is my big, this is my best album, man. Like, Harvest? Nah, man, that's not my best. This no. is my best album. Well, it's also about like, if you did, you know, if you peak when you're young, how do you like get better? I think it was also, that's kind of what it was about. Was you about- buy a bunch of glass bricks. I feel like literally that story is just about how Molly doesn't do enough cocaine to follow through on her glass breaks because you were just one cocaine amount away from yeah i can find a fucking contractor i can do this one or two more cocaines and you would have been like all right i'm gonna get like these nine guys we're gonna go in after dark we're gonna break in but you guys saw <laughs> that cutting i like, torch no I, guy i got a guy for that i, got I a guy. did go through all that and then i probably smoked pot and was like nah <laughs> i'm just gonna write about this and it's just as good as having them uh, but then we also, at Paramount Studios, where we were doing this podcast before now, um, we like, there was a day when we were leaving the studio and uh, Leah Beckman and Amy Nicholson of MTV News came running over with armfuls of glass bricks that they had found in a dumpster that turned out to be plastic and they were from a set. And they just like were like running over, like so excited, like, guys, look, look what we found. And just like bricks like falling out of their arms because they're trying to carry so many. And it was the most beautiful moment. Did you I mean, did you feel in that moment like there was some cosmic significance to this? I mean, look, because I did actually. They're fake glass bricks on a it's a movie studio. There's like they're on a set. Like every cinematographer loves glass bricks because they let light in, you know, like as like they always want that. Well, they were invented to let light into factories, is what I learned going deep on glass bricks. Yeah, it was that they were so you could have like not a window, but it would let some more light in into right. the factory. Like it's a thing that's load bearing, but lets light. In. I would love to start a brick tour. We could get one of those like TMZ buses and just yeah. go find glass bricks around LA. That's kind of what I do for fun. It also them. just gave me like a purpose at a time in life when I maybe really needed one. So I think I was just like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but I can do this thing every day. That is like weirdly satisfying. Until so you're like an addict. I'm like an addict. I've a little bit been told that it like has ruined things <laughs> for people <laughs> because now they can't stop seeing them and they kind of hate me for it. I feel like we have the germ of a business plan here. Molly's glass brick tour. It only costs like $8,000. <laughs> And we're going to have luxury accommodations <laughs> on the bus. Just pay, just Venmo Molly eight grand and we'll take care of your shit. The Fly Migos, down. The Migos will be on the bus. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> For sure. Um, 
Yes. Sorry. I got nothing. I don't know why I took the mic back. Here's my question. Here's something that's interesting. Like I've, uh, we've talked about this Molly and I've read the thing that you wrote about it in the times and everything, but uh, like, I'm, I'm curious because Ben's here, like you, you guys did allude to something that's interesting. Like I didn't realize that there was an element of like class resentment. Oh yeah. That's probably all it is. The bricks thing. We grew up around a lot of rich kids. We grew up, but the thing is, like, we grew up a lot of, around a lot of rich kids who had horrible family lives, much like in nine hundred two one zero, and who wanted to come to like our house, the Walsh siblings, uh, for dinner because they were like, "You have dinner with your parents." Yeah, <laughs> like what's and we that wanted like? to go see the bricks. Yeah, and we were like, "These kids have a trampoline and a pool, and you can jump into the pool off the trampoline, and nobody cares because there's no parents around." I can eat like seven <laughs> fruit roll-ups at once, <laughs> covered in fudge. <laughs> Um, but also in a weird way, I feel like that's still what I think of as being like very fancy. Yeah, like same. even though I know it's not actually what is luxury anymore, it's still I'm like, ooh, nothing more luxurious than some glass bricks really conveys that you have it all. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's like if you have a sunken conversation pit in your house, I will always think that you're better than me. That's what I'm saying. My ideas about what constitute like a luxurious lifestyle are all from media of the 80s. Like uh, we're taking a 180 turn from last week's guest, but I like how glass bricks are like, if Ira Madison is um, casual luxury, they are really like the most effortful luxury you could possibly have. <laughs> it's, it's like the most working for it, sweaty shit. Um, I also want to say I do f- I don't want to claim ownership over glass bricks. Anybody can have them. There's another account that started following me that specifically is called Glass Bricks of Los Angeles, and this is my new mystery: is like who is this person that is my shadow and also is looking for glass bricks and sees many of the same ones I have seen. Uh, what was I going to just say? Who wants your attention that badly? I don't, I think they just, there's other ones. There's, I started following one that was like air conditioners of Philadelphia that I love. That's just <laughs> AC units in Philadelphia. There's a lot of like mundane architecture people. Oh, I remember what I was going to say, which is that my friend Sarah is at the Architecture in America conference right now. And she sent me a photo of a glass brick booth saying glass bricks still popular with architects maybe coming back. And then I have also seen some architects being like the lowly glass brick is actually like a beautiful, great thing. You're not the only one who thinks this. See, now I see it. It just becomes a thing. I just see it everywhere. And I start to feel like, are all of these people just trying to get Molly's attention? I'm watching Better Call Saul and I'm like, that's one of the best shot shows on television right now. But they're like basically his office, his new office, uh, Bob Odenkirk's new office made of glass bricks, like walls of glass bricks. And is that just because it was there? Uh, Alan Seppenwall was like, you're going to want to watch this specific episode of Better Call Saul. Um, And then a lot of people sent me a screenshot. But again, I'm not like, I'm always happy to get more glass bricks. I'm never. I'm not over it. Other people have expressed to me that they would wish me to stop <laughs> talking and posting about it, but you can't stop because you won't. I sort of can't stop because I won't stop. And you don't stop. And I don't stop, Ben. Thanks for coming on. We're gonna have you back soon. Hopefully. Thanks for having me. And uh, I've woken up this early since twelfth grade. <laughs> I was like, I'll get you a coffee. You'll be fine. I was like, if I can be on point at eight in the morning. You're always last for carpool. Anybody today, can. Last for carpool. Today you were first. Today. Before me. Today I was last for carpool, asleep in first period. That's my style. Thanks for listening. We're going to take 
a break for a couple weeks from this podcast, but we will be back rested and ready with the squad. I'm getting no rest, but also go back. And so this, since this is the season finale, we've left clues throughout this episode <laughs> that you can go back and listen to every other episode in the past and, and everything will make a lot more sense. It's completely recontextualizes. Yeah. I heard if you play the, it follows episode backwards, there's directions to the fire festival. <laughs> It's been there the entire time. Directions out of the fire Festival. <laughs> this episode of North Mollywood was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan, Kasia Mihailovic, and James T. Green for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts.